us begin. Suggestions on practice by Charlotte Jarbopak. Don't begin a sitting period without considering why you sit. Know your intention. Know that there is nowhere to go, nothing to achieve. Be aware of the religious thoughts. Check your posture. No matter how you sit, the body should be erect, but not stiff. Balance and at ease. The sitting place should be neat and pleasant, but we can sit anywhere and in any position, even lying down in the field of the hospital. Sit every day. Try to resist more than one day in a week. If resistance arises, it is a normal out of practice. Be aware that it consists of thinking, but like all thought, it need not dominate you. Just observe it. Feel it in the body, and do not bully yourself, ever. Once in a week, sit 10 to 15 minutes longer than you want to sit. Don't become obsessed by sitting. In no case should one's work or family responsibilities be neglected in order to sit. When upset, don't avoid sitting. Hard as it may be, it is crucial to sit when difficulties arise. Know that sitting is simply maintaining awareness by the mind. Be aware of any desire to turn sitting into an escape from life by entering peaceful, transite states. Such states can be seductive, but they are of no use. Be aware that the honeymoon period for new sitters is often followed by resistance, possible turbulence, and emotional uprisings. Just continue practice with particular emphasis on feeling your bodily sensations. Be aware that achieving something in sitting, such as special clarity, insight, calmness of mind, is not the point. These may occur, but the point is your awareness of whatever is happening, including confusion, discouragement, or anxiety. Keep your practice to yourself. Don't attempt to teach others. Do not proselytize. Leave your friends and family alone. There is an old saying, let them ask three times. What you can hear of others is how we live. Don't spend your sitting time in planning. Nothing is wrong with planning per se, but set up another time forever. If you hear planning thoughts when you sit, label them. In daily life, be acutely aware of the desire to gossip or complain, to judge others or yourself, to feel superior or inferior. All practice can be summed up as observation of the mental process and the experience.
these situations. No more and no less. And finally, remember that your practices is not about the techniques or koans or anything else that ends in themselves, but about the transformation of your life and mind. There are no quick fixes. Our practice is about our life, and we practice forever. So, now that we've been reminded, maybe you have something to comment, say, something that's come up about this. So if you do, please bring it up. I might have something to say about it, or someone else might have something to say. I brought up resistance to you on the second day. Mm -hmm. I came the first day, very excited. The second day, it was too early, it was too cold, it was uncomfortable, it was dark. I, I can say I've done every one of these things on her list. Yeah. And she's done every one of these things many times in many forms, which is why it's there. Because this is what we as humans all share in various forms, in our own particular forms. And yet practice is about being human and about embracing the human condition in the midst of the various ways that, if I say cause and effect, all these ways of avoiding our life come up for us and we play with them. And that's exactly what she says. All practices summed up in one observation of the mental process, noticing it, labeling it, various forms of observation, and, in a sense, opening that up to the experiencing of this moment, of present bodily sensations. Whatever is helpful and supports us in that, whether breathing or other ways, it's always about that. No more and no less. Everything more is, uh, is really ways of doing that. Everything less is not quite an adequate for the practice of what being human is. And that's what zazen, that's what practice is, being human. And therefore every human is capable of it in their own, our own particular way. And every human can fall into any of these should I say, byways, avoidances. Notice she didn't have to use any fancy words here. Um, some people might not might find this offensive, but there's no fancy words, no nothing there. It's very simple. Not easy, but very simple and straightforward. And we don't want to do it. We have 
all sorts of mental processes we'd rather do than be right this present bodily moment. what we're capable of. And the observing of mental processes is noticing what entangles us and creates harming and suffering, we could say, or unsatisfactoriness and stress and pain and the various other ways we have of doing talking about that first what what, um, Jim just talked about um, that considering why you sit um, would be the same then they're not she's not saying that you should consider why you're sitting today as opposed to why you're going to sit yesterday or tomorrow that's right and notice what she says right after that know that there is nowhere to go nothing to achieve because if you have I'm sitting in order to go such and such state achieve such and such state, then we're already entangled somewhere that's important to notice that that's what we're believing. See, that comes right after that. Be aware of ambitious thoughts. I'm sitting because I'm going to become the best person in etc. (laughs) See? I mean, those are broad categories and it's our own particular flavor of those that get us in trouble if they're lurking in the background or in the foreground or underground which is often where they lurk but I guess we all have intention we all have a reason why we're sitting and then we get to notice that and then we see if it's if it's something that gets in the way of us being this experiencing life moment or if it, it supports us in being who we are. Whether it's highfalutin or lowfalutin uh, as an explanation. Whether it's something that's a hindrance or an obstacle or a blinder. Or whether it's what's so. Observe the mental process and experience the body yeah. sensations. 
that it comes down to being just that simple. And, yeah. and it's very complex and difficult and crazy making at times, but that is really the essence of the intention. I, I missed something. You, you, you sort of, either my ears didn't work or you, you went lower. In between, you said something. You said, what's really the, the um, point of it? Can you repeat I that? was saying that the essence of the intention of sitting is simply one and two down yeah. at the bottom of the page. Yes. That yeah. would be so easy if I could remember that <laughs> with oh. all my ambitious thoughts and my yeah. honeymoon experience after 20-some years. And it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are people who sit because they want particular high states. Mm-hmm. Or particular states of samadhi, or and often that gets us in trouble. There have been people in here who become addicted to those, if you excuse that expression. Mm-hmm. And then when those don't occur, they go looking elsewhere for those states, which just gets them in further trouble. Those might occur, they might not, as she says somewhere. But they're a byproduct and they're just something that comes and goes. If that's what you're looking for, you'll get so in trouble. Good when it comes, sure. You want to repeat that. Yeah. <laughs> you want to repeat it. But the nature of being human is sometimes that comes, sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes running after it itself has negative consequences because then you devalue all of your life except that. Mm. You entangle yourself in trying to duplicate that. You denigrate each moment and you miss your life because, you know, this isn't it, this isn't it yet, this isn't it, this isn't it, where is it? Oh, it's when I get that. Well, um, I would say that that's about uh, um, when we bully ourselves, we, in a sense, add denigration and judgment onto the resistance, and we think we, we have to do something with it, so it becomes another kind of mental game as opposed to experiencing the way this bodily, including resistance, circumstance moment is. Because if we run from anything or bully ourselves about anything, then what happens when that arises in our life? Then that entangles us. Then that creates suffering and harming for us. At least that's how I see it. Does that make sense? Do you mean like if you um, say like call yourself stupid for getting caught, you know, in a fantasy or something for a long period of time, then just to label that? That and then experience that. Be the experience. Yeah, 
Sure, we could call ourselves all sorts of things, but I don't know that it does good in, in life with others or in life with ourselves, so to speak, to uh, call names and belittle, despite the fact that people love to do it on Twitter and elsewhere. In a way, we sometimes call ourselves worse names than we would call anyone in public. But we indulge, no, that is, we allow ourselves to call ourselves that. Of course, if we call ourselves that, then we sit then and judge others in that way too, which is more of the same. Yeah, I mean, she talks about that. In daily life, be acutely aware of the desire to gossip, complain, to judge others or yourself. Acutely aware. So in other words, be sensitive to notice when that comes up. Use that opportunity, even if it's not in formal sitting, to notice, to observe that mental process. Or if you want to say to label that mental process, which is, you know, emotion, thoughts, and all the other ways, and then to, for a moment, to, if you can, if I say it this way, to stop, but I don't mean stop, but to be the experiencing moment there for a few breaths, even if it's in the middle of your, the day when you're walking down the street or in an office or in the car or wherever. And of course, fits while you're sitting. In, this is very simple and very difficult. And we don't, in a way, have to go further than this. We, we can over and over remind ourselves, because this is the core of what our life practice is. And when I say life practice, I mean our practice, our life. That's not two. themselves and then you can just let them go because you've noticed it. If we make it something of it and then go, ah, 
that means my sitting's going well. That means, you know, and now I've got to think more about it then. Otherwise, it just comes up in the process of being... It's not because you go searching for the, that insight. Yeah, well, yeah. If you're going searching for it, then it's, that's a, then it's mental processing. Then it's thinking about. That's not... Seeing. Okay, so not having, like she said, not having achieving mind about it, but just if, mm-hmm. it's, if something comes up, that's okay, see it, uh-huh. let it go. Yeah, yeah. She said it's not the point. It's not, it doesn't, notice she doesn't say you need to accomplish that. Or you need to try to accomplish that. Yeah. They, these may occur. But the point is awareness of your awareness of whatever is happening, including, and notice she doesn't have the insights, even the confusion, discouragement, and anxiety, which aren't the insights we want to. Well, that's true. Like, if I get some kind of insight, then I tend to feel, like you said, I tend to, I think, without even realizing, feel that things are going well. But whereas if I'm sitting and I feel like crap, then, you know, then I don't feel like, oh, this isn't, you know, what it should be. Or well, that, so. whatever, it, whatever shows up is what shows up. We are not, it's not ours to control, as I was saying several talks ago, what thoughts, feelings, etc. arises. It's not our choice. We're not responsible for it, and it doesn't indicate, quote, better or worse, though we sometimes think it should or does. We need to know what's ours and what's not ours. Yes? Julie? Well, um, the the being acutely aware of um, the desire to complain or judge others, uh-huh. um, I am completely okay with that, except I don't know what to do about somebody, for instance, like Jeffrey Epstein, because I hate him, and I can't stop myself from, I mean, it's, I know it needs to extend to everyone, but I find him to be so deplorable. Do you have anything to do with him? Have you ever? <laughs> no. So, so where? What's the point? When you're saying that, you're just thinking about something random in the distance. See, that's one of the things you could. If you want to go on media, you could find lots of people to hate about lots of things, but that's not in your life right now, and unfortunately. The nature of media and internet, etc., is it keeps pushing out all these things to make us spend all our life thinking about being aware of all of this. If someone comes up to you and says, I have a survey for you, what do you think about (laughs) such and such? Fine, say it. But the rest of the time, it's just superfluous hate, judgment, etc. It just poisons the um, well of our life. The, the, it poisons life. Greed, anger, ignorance are the po- called the poisons in, in Buddhism. That's what, that, what you have is a, is a perfect example of anger. No, it doesn't say anger that isn't justified. It's anger. It takes us away from being at peace in this present moment. And 
it has consequences, and the consequences is suffering and harming. Now, if you want suffering and harming, fine, do it. It's not, it's not that it's bad, it's that it has consequences. When there is this, there is that. So when we hold on to anger, then the consequences of anger are suffering and harming. And we don't know where and how the suffering and harming occur, but they do, for us and for others. It's like keeping on pouring poison into our drinks and complaining, why does, why does every time I drink this, um, do I feel so bad? I mean, it's like we're stewing in that poison when we keep pouring it in. That's why it's called the three poisons. So then how do you keep, I mean, there's, there, you know, do I sequester myself no. and, and no. not see it? Um, do I repress my feeling? I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and and all of the repercussions of my um, mothering and worrying, uh-huh. and um, I know that in some cases I am causing it myself, uh-huh. but because of the worry and all of that, but yet I, I don't know how to negotiate this individual that has this poisonous, existence and how do I negotiate that because I mean I have to know about it you do do you do you have to turn on the the, the 24 hours of news no 18 no, hours I don't, I don't turn on the 24 hours of news but it, it does right. affect me deeply that's right people create all sorts of do all sorts of terrible things in the world Sometimes you don't have to expose yourself to all of it. What you need to know, know, and then let it go. If you can't let it go, then you need to do what she says. Observation of the mental process. Observation of your desire to gossip. Where is that? Which one is that? Uh, It's down 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 at the bottom. In daily life, be acutely aware of the desire to gossip. Talking about gossiping about all sorts of people. People maybe in this room that you know about, but people that you don't even know about. The media is always giving you people to gossip about. You want to gossip about Harry and and what's his wife's name? I don't know, the prince. (laughs) Then you can gossip about them. You want to gossip about the other people? You can find there's endless people and they're... Lots of people who would love for you to gossip about them, and they'll put themselves up somewhere, and the more gossip about them they get, the, the more, whatever it is, likes, uh, etc. they get. Or dislikes. Dislikes are just as good as likes. Because it means, be acutely aware. She says that, to feel infi- superior or inferior. So we got lots of people we could feel superior about. That's what the media is about too. The media is about poisoning us. It's toxic, which is why we it, it says poisons, greed, anger. That's what the media is about. Greed. You need this. You need that. They've got it. You want it. There's new. Get another one. Or anger. Or confusion. Now, it's fine, you, we, we play with those, but what the point is, is to see that the consequences of that are toxic for our life, but not just our life, as you said. It's toxic for our life with others, with your daughter, with friends. And gossiping is 
we'd love to do. And yet when we, as with a group of friends, gossip about all sorts of people, whether it's people we know or don't know, we're creating poisons. That's why she says it. You don't have to believe her. You can continue doing it, but know that it has consequences. So my, my question then would be more that I don't necessarily have to extend any kind of generosity I can have my reaction, I can be aware of it and see it and how it could affect relationships and be toxic and all this stuff, but I don't, it's not like I have to extend any kind of genuine, um, I don't know what the word would be. Actually, you can. No, you can actually. There's great practices called meta practices to, to extend Loving kindness, even to, even to. I mean, this is. I'm not big enough. The, I the, don't think. the Buddha, the Buddha, was wandering through. I told the story of Angulamala before. There was this famous person in Buddha's time around where he was in a particular state, who was a murderer. And he was a particular kind of murderer because he used to collect the finger bones of every one of his victims, the pinky bone, it's, I think, and he would string it onto his a necklace that he wore. And he had accumulated 999, and he was going for 1,000. And the villagers where he, where in that area of India were terrified of him because he would attack people on the in the on the roads and then go into the villages and he was fearsome and gruesome, etc. He saw the Buddha and he decided, ah, the Buddha's going to be my thousand finger bone. So he was followed the Buddha and then he, he was chasing him. And for some reason he kept chasing and he couldn't reach the Buddha. So he yelled at the Buddha, stop, stop Buddha! I'm trying to catch you. Stop. And the Buddha said, I've stopped. You, Angulamala, haven't stopped. People have warned the Buddha, don't go begging in this area because he's wandering around there trying to kill someone. And he says, what do you mean? And, and the Buddha said to him, you haven't stopped from your hatred. You're killing. I'm not quoting the text exactly, but there, there is a text. And he, he fell down and he was greatly disturbed and he finally decided I've done a terrible things is there any way for me can, can I do anything and the Buddha taught him and, it, and he said I want to give this all up would you accept me as your disciple and the Buddha said yes give it all up and the Buddha made him into a, 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 a bhikkhu with him and so then he would, he, so his head was shaved, his wore monk's robes and would go back, the bhikkhus lived by going begging from village to village. So Angulamala went begging somewhere and the villagers recognized him and they beat him and, and, he, and he was bloody and everything. They didn't kill him, but, and he came back and, you know. Um, and somehow the word got, um, to the Buddha, um, no, 
the word got to the local king that Angulamala was hiding out among the with the Buddha and his disciples. So the king um, comes to the Buddha to, to warn him and say, we heard that this guy's hang, hanging out with you. And um, the Buddha was there with some of his disciples and he said to the king, yes, do you know him? And the king said, no, but I, and he said, here, this disciple right next to me is him. But you should know that he's no longer who he was. And the proof of it is that every time he goes out and gets beaten up, he accepts it all. And, there, and therefore, what's done is done. And, you know, and th- there's more to the dialogue in the text, and I'm not going to go into that. But, yes. So, even that kind of terrible, evil, vicious person, who himself was willing to kill, wanted to kill the Buddha, there are other people who tried to kill the Buddha. There's various times, but I'll leave those stories. Even his own cousin, Devadat, who attempted to kill him several times and fomented the killing of a number of his disciples, of his, yeah, his disciples, not, not disciples, well, followers, disciples in other words, but people, either kings who were uh, disciples of the Buddha or others fomented the killing of them. Um, when he came to the Buddha, even though they had a long history from Buddha's childhood of Devadatta, you know, doing violence or attempting violence at the Buddha, the Buddha accepted him as a disciple, even though later on he caused major schism among Buddha's disciples, and then again attempted to kill Buddha. Till finally, at some point, in, some, one of, in the midst of one of his attempts, he himself got killed, Devadat. But this is all, it's all in the text. I'm just summarizing. This is, you know, so, so we're talking about people who try to kill you, not just once and yet. Now, I don't say any of us need to do that sort of thing, but to just see that as an example. So yes, we can try, not just try, express loving kindness to those who we consider hateful, evil. But we can work with that, just as we would want loving kindness expressed, generated towards us. But we don't have to go looking at those extremes. Yeah, I learned about myself, I guess. <laughs> and my capacity for feeling in awe. I was so happy of bugs in his, you know, cell. I mean, I learned a lot about myself, I guess. Yeah? I didn't think I would be that happy about stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting feelings towards people in our life, not just these distant people in the media or in the, in the world where we never encountered, but even people that we've encountered. Sometimes people we don't even know that we encounter we have hateful feelings towards, that somehow those feelings come up, intentions, and then 
You know, just someone who didn't open the door to me or didn't give me a, an extra piece of bread or who knows what. And then sometimes we have it over ancient stories, ancient stories in our own life. You know, we could hold on to grudges about people, even siblings and family members and different sorts. And that's one of the things we discover as we sit, that that's our practice to, when those arise, right there, notice the mental process and be the bodily experiencing. And if it helps you, do metta practice, do other practices with that. Because that relieves us, allows us to release anger and hatred, which poison us and poison others. It's not that anger and hatred is, means that we're a bad person. They naturally arise. That's why it says greed, anger, ignorance, when we say in the Gatha of Atonement. We say it, those who express it towards us and those who, to whom we express it, that's, that's ours. Greed, anger, and ignorance are the poisons that we humans stew in. We stew in, in variations of them. You can, you can, you know, you want to say less, more, milder, more intense, uh, justified, not justified. Doesn't make a difference. Like one there and then there. I just wanted to uh, pick up on what Julie was saying. And I had a teacher help me through that same kind of uh, hating on a person in the media who had done really despicable things equally. So, and I couldn't let it go. And he he said, he brought me to this point of saying, you, you hate the action, you know, work against that in your community. Be, be a, a force for change or for support or for encouragement among those groups of sufferers, but realize that the person who has inflicted all this pain has some very heavy karma and this is that person's life and you don't have to hate him but hate the action he said not the actor and that really stuck with me because it gave me something concrete that I could do to work against the the despicable actions he was creating by his own life so that was something that was really helpful to me. We don't know very much about the forces that give rise, but on one hand, everyone is the perfect expression of the cause and effect that their life is in all the various forms. Everyone. There's a good book, it's an old book called No One is to Blame which I recommend if one is really caught up in blaming it's a useful book to look at I, I think I even have a copy in my room I'm, I don't think it's gone to California yet um, but just take, take the example of the Dalai Lama. He certainly can blame lots of people for the conditions of his people, of himself too. And he talks about it very directly. But it's most important for us not to 
deal with it in generalities, but to deal with it as it arises in particular in our practice life, which is our whole life. And to see how the poison of that creates turmoil in your life, in your family, among your friends. And I know many of you have experienced that where members of the family hate each other, members of the, among friends have long-standing or short-standing complaints, judgments, feeling superior and inferior towards other family members. And what, what happens with that? When the Buddha says greed and anger, confusion or ignorance are poisons, he means it in a literal sense, and we experience it in a literal sense. Which is why our practice with it is observing the mental process, not someone else's, our mental process, and experiencing the bodily, the present moment bodily sensations that's there. Hi. Hi. I'd like to think that what we do here has an effect on the world. Um, If you cease hate, wait, if you and I and everyone here ceases hating for a little bit, if you and I cease and everyone here ceases being greedy just a little bit, in a little bit more, of wanting things to be a certain way, wanting, if if we do just those two out of the three, that will have a tremendous effect without us knowing how and where. Without us knowing what? How and where any of that happens. Well, that's wonderful. I, I, I happen to think that we are in the problem. The world is in a big problem, and our government's in a big problem, and and I don't want to digress off of that because that spinning and spinning and spinning. However, it's it's a good thing to know that sitting makes a difference. That if we sit, we can become more peaceful, and we can offer that to whoever. Okay. So uh, let's let's ask specifically. Has sitting made a difference in the anger and interfamily situations in your life? Indeed. Good. Then, then there you go. And you don't know how much that's spread out to others because of that. Well, no, I, I don't, and I don't. But you don't need to. I don't need to go there, but I'd, right. like, I'd like to see. We're going to have, um, where I live, a two-hour thing where we call, I picked this up actually in, in uh, New Hampshire one year, a sit for peace. Good. And mm. people can, it'll be two hours, I'll be there for the two hours, and people can drop in for five minutes if they want, or, and I'll read some stuff like from, uh, oh, what's that, Indian fellow? Anyway. Gandhi? Not that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Read something from the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama. I read the Dalai Lama's book years ago. 
And I was so moved and Good. impressed that this guy had witnessed all these awful things, and there he is. He tells the story about we and our people, or something is the name of the book. He tells the story without anger, which just blew my mind. It was pretty terrible stuff. If you want to find a, a, a text, you could ask me later, for, for, for doing met, some meta practice at that peace thing, and you could do it either at okay. the beginning or the end. You've done that before. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thanks. say there isn't it isn't an, I mean even though often it's easier to, to, to notice the mental process because so many of us are so what should I say overwhelmingly focused on our mental processes that it's almost like you go there automatically and then you have to make the effort to notice and open up so to speak to let it go to open into this bodily sensation the experiencing of right now and right now isn't just inside here it's outside all around us it's hearing the sneezing it's seeing the light that's also experiential but those go back and forth they they interact constantly so it's not so being experiential all of a sudden we might notice the thoughts that come up are they going to give me that disease from from what that they're sneezing from <laughs> huh where did that come from? Excuse me. <laughs> I just I just picked on what what's going on. But so yes, you're right. It's we, we, we say it in this way, but it's she says it's summed up, and even though it says one, two, you could say two, one, or this A and B or B and A or whatever. It's it's just all intermingled in this being present and out of being present pops up mental processes good then again being the experiential out of the mental process we notice what we're holding on and opening that up to being the experiential because we refuse otherwise to be right where we are experiential and mental processes aren't two different things they're just 
if I say it, facets of the same. Sometimes we see one side, sometimes we see the other, sometimes we see them intermingled. Some, in fact, seeing them is already a step away. It's just being, being experiential, not thinking about it. Noticing is just a mental process of itself. But you don't have to go further than that. And if your heart has slowed down, great. And if it hasn't, good. And if it's stopped, then you don't have to worry about it. Meta, meta practice is the practice of giving loving kindness yeah. to to all beings, and then sometimes you you focus down to specific beings to whom you are angry with, or beings who are in need, and sometimes it's to yourself, and sometimes it's the family members. It's a it's a form of of just being present and then articulating the loving kindness. Is it a little bit like Tom Glenn? No. It sounds like it. A little bit. I mean, Tom Glenn is, is giving and receiving, but it could be connected to it. But it's a, it has a different root. Tom Glenn is, is, it comes out of Tibetan. Loving kindness comes out of uh, Vipassana. So it's, you know, different roots. But, you know, what? In America, we mix them all up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean it. In, in Asian, you wouldn't have, you, you only have what, for the most part, it's no longer that way, but it used to be you only had what you had in your, in your particular culture. So no one in, in Japan knew about Korean practice, no one in Korea, or no one in China knew about Vietnamese practice, etc., etc. But of course, I mean, you know, we're in a world where communication is, puts the whole world at our fingertips as opposed to what's in particular places. Okay. Thank you all. Um, if you could please pass these back. And at the end of Sashin.